0: Friends, it's a privilege to be here with you today. As was announced, my name is Carrie Taylor, um, and I've been around Pinellas County forever. I grew up at Heritage United Methodist. I work at Skycrest United Methodist. But I've always heard heard amazing things about this place, Uh, and it did not disappoint. Like, this is a really great place, and I'm honored to be here, and I'm honored to spend some time with you this morning here. I got to ask you, have you ever rewatched a movie that you used to love when you were younger and realized later in life that you were completely wrong about what was going on? I don't know about you. This happens to me all the time. Um, for example, I so I grew up in the '90s and early 2000s. I was a Pixar kid. I loved Pixar movies. Watching Pixar movies back is a completely different experience. Like if I've got some years removed, watching Pixar movies back is crazy because Pixar is really good at having movies geared towards children by throwing but throwing some like fun adult jokes in there too to keep the parents engaged too. So I have watched movies back and I've been like, oh my God, did they say that? Was I like four years old watching? Did they really say that? Sometimes it's more than just those little moments. Sometimes I'll watch something that I used to love when I was little and realize that it's not even about what I thought it was about. Like the plot went completely over my head and I rewatch it back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea all of this was going on. My example for this is the Goofy movie. Show of hands, has anyone seen the Goofy movie? It's kind of like you have to basically be my exact age to like love the Goofy movie. So it's kind of niche, but... I'll explain it. So, uh, it's an incredible plot, incredible movie. It holds up, by the way. It's on Disney Plus if you're interested. So, the Goofy movie is about Goofy and his son, Max. His son, Max, is a teenager. He's in his kind of angsty phase. He's kind of nerdy, but kind of wants to be like a bad boy. He uh, finally gets a date with this girl that he's so excited about. He gets into a little bit of trouble uh, and Goofy, we all know Goofy, Goofy gets really concerned that Max is getting into trouble. So Goofy's solution is gonna be to strengthen their relationship by going on a fishing trip. Now, during the fishing trip was when his date was supposed to be, so obviously Max is devastated because it's the worst thing that could possibly happen in the world. So Max or Goofy is taking Max on this fishing trip the whole time when I was watching the movie as a child, I was in it like the plot was that Max had to get to the concert to go on the date at the end of the movie. He had to. But really, watching it back now as an adult, it is this beautiful story about the relationship between a father and a son. The child wanting independence and trying to strike out on their own where the father is clinging to the relationship and the memory of when he used to be a baby. Like there's so much there. But I completely missed it when I was a kid. Today, we'll talk about one of the first things that probably comes to mind when we think about Jesus, and that is his healings and miracles. Depending on how you count, Jesus performed about 37 signs and miracles during his ministry on earth. And he did them all over the place in lots of different settings with lots of different people present. For the most part, these stories are probably pretty familiar for those of us who have been around church for a little while. We like to talk about these stories because they make Jesus seem really cool and also really nice, right? He's healing. He's doing all these sorts of things, but to make Jesus seem really cool. But just like watching movies when we were kids, we probably have the broad strokes headline titles of each of these miracles, like a one sentence summary of what happened. Like my example from earlier, the Goofy movie is about Max going to the concert. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus fed a bunch of people. And again, like my childish understanding of the plot of the Goofy movie, if we stop there, if we stop at that big broad strokes headline, at this idea of Jesus doing a cool trick or doing something nice for someone, we aren't really getting the full picture of what Jesus was really about. Because Jesus obviously wasn't the type to just kind of go around showing off doing cool things for no reason at all. So today, my hope is that we can dive a little deeper into a pretty well-known miracle um, and explore a little more of what is going on there. So together this morning, we're going to look at the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed in the Gospel of John was shortly after Jesus was baptized and called his disciples together. They traveled to Cana to go to a wedding. And here's where we get that big one, one sentence headline, right? Jesus was at a wedding and he turned something into something. You know, he turned water into You get it, yeah, there's that big headline. Jesus turned water into wine, you got it. So let's turn together to John chapter two, verses two through 11. If you're following along in your Bibles, I'm in the new international version or the words will be up on the screen for us to read along together. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. What Jesus did here in Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So clearly, this is more than just a cool little magic trick, right? Jesus is about more than that. In fact, we get a glimpse of what God's all about in this miracle story. I've got to be honest with you. I've never really liked this story that much. Um, Honestly, it doesn't make that much sense. There are a lot of aspects in this story over the years that have caused me to kind of raise an eyebrow and honestly question why the author of the Gospel of John put this story in here at all. This miracle is only present in the Gospel of John. Also, it's not in the other Gospels. So if it truly did happen the way that the author wrote it, I guess the rest of the authors didn't find it that important to put in there. The placement of this story, I think, is a little odd, too. As I mentioned before, Jesus had just been baptized. He had just gathered a group of friends to go out and do ministry in the world. Like, you think after this, they're going to go do something exciting, something huge, something miraculous. But we turn to chapter 2, and they're hanging out at a wedding. Seems like kind kind of a letdown. I don't know. Not to mention this strange interaction between Jesus and his mother, right? Scholars and biblical translators have gone to great lengths, like bent over backwards over the years to try and prove that this interaction between them, when Jesus calls her a woman, was not one of disrespect, but instead one of endearment, just because we're so uncomfortable with this weird exchange between the two of them. But I got to tell you, those arguments don't get very far. I mean, the word that Jesus uses, woman, is literally just that, woman. In the original language, it just means female person. Every other time this word is used in the New Testament, it's just kind of like a placeholder for a person instead of a name, just woman. Why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus call his mom that? And I think the strangest of all, to me, is the nature of this miracle and the fact that it was the very first one John writes about. So we know from Scripture that Jesus came into a broken world, a world that so desperately needed saving. You can imagine with me probably all the people in the world who needed help at this moment, people who needed healing. People who were experiencing great injustices, people who would have needed to experience Emmanuel, God with them, in that moment. But Jesus' ministry doesn't start in any of those places, it starts at a wedding. Weddings in this time were a pretty huge deal. Uh, They lasted anywhere between four and seven days and were not just like a party, but kind of a gathering for the whole town. Now, as someone who just planned and had my own wedding in February of this year, that sounds like an absolute nightmare to try to plan that much festivity. Uh, But that's just me. And not only were wedding celebrations a big deal, but kind of hospitality in general, culturally, uh, was the biggest deal. Depending on your status in society, running out of something wouldn't just mean um, like a faux pas or a slight embarrassment, but you could literally get sued or you could be brought up on charges for running out of something in such a gathering. So obviously we've got some contextual differences between weddings today and weddings in the time that Jesus was alive. But even so, Even knowing all of that, I can't help but think that Jesus's divinity and humanity could have probably been better used somewhere else. As I said before, there could have been so many places where people were were experiencing things way worse than being almost out of wine. The family hosting the wedding party probably wasn't particularly needy if they were able to host this party in the first place, and they had wine. They just drunk it all. They partied a little too hard and they were about to run out. And my first response is, who cares? Who cares? Interestingly enough, Jesus says this too. Woman, why do you concern me with this? Why do you involve me with this? Other translations say, why is this of any concern to me? What does this have to do with me? Who cares? As we read though, Jesus went on to provide for this people in a way that has fascinated the minds of his followers for centuries to come. And Jesus's actions in this moment shows us that God cares, God cares. How many times have we been dealing with a situation that seemed insignificant? Maybe something happened that really hurt our feelings. Maybe there's a situation in our families that we wish was different. Maybe we're facing a change that seems a little bit scary. Maybe we're just really disappointed. Maybe we're facing these very real things, but we find ourselves, if you're like me, looking at what everything else that's going on in the rest of the world and thinking, who could care? Who could care about me? Who could care about these problems that I have? But this miracle shows us God cares. God cares about the everyday and the mundane. God is big enough to care about the things that we all care about, things that might not seem like that big of a deal to anybody else. God's mission in the world is to right all of the wrongs that our poor decision-making and just the evil of the world have created, which is a pretty big task, I should say. Um, But God is big enough to do that. And to care about the little things too. God is sovereign, but God is also personal and knows us like a friend does. We can see that here in God's action through Jesus. God cares about our needs, not just our spiritual needs either. God cares about these people being unnecessarily embarrassed at their big wedding party. God cares about people enjoying themselves. God wants us to feel joy and feel that joy through Christ. God provides for us when we need it. Not only does God provide though, God also provides in abundance. We read that Jesus calls the servants to grab these six big jars, six or seven big jars that were in the home, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons of water. These are big jars, uh, not just little jars that we store leftovers in, like big jars. And he calls the servants to fill them up with water. So just a small people, uh, just a small number of people know what Jesus is doing here. He doesn't demand everybody's attention in this big way. But once these jars were filled with water, the finest wine was drawn out of them. I wanna think about these jars for a second. The scripture we read tells us that these jars were used by every wedding guest for ritual cleansing. Uh, This would have been common practice, a tradition for the Jewish people, cleansing themselves, cleansing their bodies, cleaning their bodies before entering a home, before eating and things like this. So cleansing their hands, cleansing their feet. You guys, these were not clean jars, okay? These were not necessarily jars that I would like to drink out of, but that's what Jesus chooses to use. And he filled them to the brim with water, verse 7 tells us. The hosts went from having almost no wine to having gallons and gallons and gallons. These big jars filled to the brim with wine. Not just any wine, also, as we learned from the interaction between the host and the groom when he says that everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. Did you catch that in the scripture? You have saved the best until now. I think had people known who Jesus was uh, and what Jesus had just done, I think they would have all said, God, you have saved the best until now. Because Jesus came into the world at the perfect time, when the world needed Jesus most. And from this miracle, we can learn that God's timing is important, and God's timing is perfect. Timing is a huge part of this story. Jesus points, out, points this out with his words to his mother in their interaction, when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. This is a really important phrase for the Gospel of John, and it pops up a bunch of times, a bunch of more times in the Gospel of John. My hour has not yet come. And all the times that it pops up in the narrative point us to when Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. So it's the perfect, you know, beginning book end to the the beginning of his ministry, matching his proclamation at the end of John's gospel, when Jesus is announcing his death, saying, my hour, my time has come. We here today, worshiping in person or online, those of us here are lucky to know the end of the story, right? We know that when Jesus says his hour has come, his hour is more than just death, but his hour is about resurrection too. There's another hint in this story uh, that God's timing is perfect. And I wonder if you caught this. It's at the very, very beginning in the very first verse. So I'm going to put it back on the screen and we're going to learn or we're going to read together uh, and see if you catch it this time about God's timing. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Did you catch it? On the third day, on the third day, a wedding took place in Galilee. Of all the things that I have learned about the Bible over the years, I've learned that very rarely is stuff just thrown in there randomly. There there definitely might be an arbitrary detail here and there, but very rarely is anything just random. Most things carry a greater meaning. And reading this story through a Christian lens, through our Easter lens, through our resurrection lens, that phrase on the third day kind of heightens our sensitivity, right? We know something good is going to happen on the third day. Jesus' mother said, they have no wine. They have no wine. With these words, uh, Jesus' mother speaks a truth about our lives, speaks a truth about something that at all points we experience. Maybe it's something we're experiencing right now. We have no wine. There comes a day when when it gives out. The jars are empty. The party is over. We have nothing left. But just like in this story, on the third day, our lives are filled to the brim with new wine, this abundant joy, this fulfillment of promise, this resurrection power, this reconciliation back to God's self. That's the miracle at Cana, and it has never ceased happening. Every moment of every day, Christ pours himself into the empty jars of our lives He is that good wine, the extravagant, the abundant, the seemingly endless goodness. God is still turning water into wine all the time. So let's go back to that headline title, right? Jesus turned water into wine. Yes, that's true. Yes, but also God cares, about every aspect of our lives. The big stuff, the little stuff, God's big enough for it all. And God's timing is perfect and important. And God gives in abundance. And we are all a part of God's greater, perfect plan for the world made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a lot, right? Under that big title. You see, this miracle is more than just a weird story about Jesus doing a random trick at a random party for people who didn't really deserve it. But this story is a clear window into what Jesus is all about. It's a clear representation of what Jesus came here to do, to fill us abundantly with joy that couldn't come from anywhere else. God is making water into wine all the time. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for the truth of the gospel. I especially thank you for that truth when it is hard for us to feel and believe and understand. But God, we rest on the assurance that you are making all things new. It is through you, it is through the power of your son that when we feel our jars are empty, when we feel we've got nothing left to give, When we feel like the party's over, God, you're just getting started. Remind us, God, of your goodness and of your presence within us, your desire to know us like a best friend, your desire to make things happen for us and for us to feel your abundant joy. God, we praise you for all that you are and all the ways that you bless us. Amen.